This is Converge, the Business of Creativity podcast. I'm Dane Sanders. Creatives in business live on a double edge. First, you're making something from nothing. Then, if you're successful, you get bombarded with responsibilities that have nothing to do with the creative process. So when Focusmate.com, the peer-to-peer virtual co-working platform, came on the scene, a lot of us got excited. Not only did it offer a distraction-free environment for focused work, but it also baked in accountability to make sure the important stuff actually got done. Not ironically, as Focusmate gained traction, its founder, Taylor Jacobson, experienced the same sort of problems his customers had. In today's conversation, Taylor and I walked down both paths, analyzing Focusmate's rise, along with an honest conversation on what it takes to prioritize properly, keep first things first, and lead a winner well. This episode is one of my favorites of the season, not just because I'm a fan of Taylor, but because I know he represents creatives like you who want to build your own version of great, but don't want to lose your soul in the process. So Taylor, tell me a little bit about your history. How in the world did you get from there to here? (laughs) I I love that saying by Steve Jobs that the dots only connect looking backwards. So that made me laugh when I heard your question. <laughs> the the looking backward dots is that my really my core passion in my career is about human potential. The honest and less sexy way to say that is that I think it's really hard to be a human being. I think we get in our own way in a lot of different ways. And I have come to care a lot about that as a thing through my own struggles, uh, which have been more and less intense at different times. And just at some point in that journey, decided I needed that to be my career, to learn about how do we get out of our own way. And I, I think we all have this sort of innate sense of our own potential. And it's just, it's very painful in this kind of intangible way when we're letting ourselves down. And one of the really formative phases of my life, moments of my life around that was 10 years ago, I was working for a startup in India and the office changed locations. My commute got much further and I I basically begged my boss to let me work from home. And you know, I thought that would be great and it was not great. It really overnight I went from being from having been a high performer my whole career to really, really struggling. And I felt lonely and I was totally unproductive and I was procrastinating all day. And and I became very ashamed of that and eventually left that job not on good terms and became depressed. And I was already interested in personal development at that point in time, but I just, I really doubled down at that point because I just needed resources to claw my way out of that. So that was, you know, I, I didn't have any breakthrough insights at that point in time, but that was when I really decided, like, I want this to be my career. And so fast forward a few years, I, you know, sort of tried a zillion different techniques and software and tools around productivity and really didn't have a lot of success. I, I was trying to be a freelancer. I, I got trained as an executive coach, and so it was kind of doing the solopreneur thing. And But I was really, I, I struggled with it a lot. I was talking to a close friend 
who had actually reached out because he was procrastinating and wanted my help as a coach. And I just kind of had this light bulb moment where I I felt kind of silly proposing this idea to him because it felt very vulnerable. It felt like there was something wrong with me to ask to propose something so, I guess, vulnerable. But I basically said to him, I said, you know, my fantasy of how I would like to be supported in this sort of freelance work from home environment would be to get on a video call and for each of us to commit to what we're going to work on and then keep each other company while we do it, you know, Mm kind of like babysit each other. And it worked really well for both of us. And that experience, you know, there was kind of this, oh, there's probably millions of people that are like us that could use this kind of kind of support. And so that was the initial spark for the company that I run now, which is Focusmate. But that gives you a little bit of a picture of of my journey and why I'm doing what I'm doing now. I love that on several levels. And I have this whiteboard in front of me filled with questions just from your intro. I, I hope you can <laughs> actually get through what I want to get to today because there's so much gold in these hills. First of all, just an acknowledgement. I, I love the recognition of your need and your commitment to finding a solution. It reminds me a little bit of my friend Amit Gupta. Years ago, he invented this thing called Jelly, Get Jelly. Do you know Amit? I do know Amit. I don't think I know Jelly, though. Okay, so so he was the first guy, and he, it started this like phenomenon. Like If you Google Jelly, you'd see PB&J and you'd see Amit. He basically was the first guy to say, I'm going to turn internet on in my house or my apartment in New York and let strangers come over and hang out. And it was kind of for the same reason, pre kind of real remote work, because it was early days, he trusted humans into his world. <laughs> I, I find him to be honest and not cynical, which I think is a tough combination. I think you're very similar. And, and this effort right now around creating a company, Focusmate, to meet a real need. And by the way, you invented this pre-COVID, <laughs> which is kind of amazing. It's funny, for as much pain and suffering COVID has caused for so many, both to your business, this must have been a gift, but also, aren't you glad you had a thing to offer the world in a moment when the world had need? Totally. And you know, for me, it's just been, oh, I've, I, I guess I would say I so deeply understand how people are feeling, having gone through all the well, at least this dimension of how people are feeling, having gone through, you know, all the stages of struggle and suffering around it. So, yeah, I'm I'm very happy that we've been able to be there for people. Mm. Uh, you also mentioned just this this idea of productivity hacks failing you, like the like that you trying your best on your own to get better <laughs> at getting stuff done efficiently. You know, it's funny. Ever since yeah, I'm old enough for to remember like Franklin Covey. Before, you know, David Allen, I'm so struck by that conclusion that everyone, and I'm one of them, anyone who kind of has gone down the productivity rabbit hole at some point goes, what what the hell am I doing? (laughs) I know what I'm supposed to do on paper. It doesn't always work the way that I'm hoping. Can you talk a little bit about, about that dynamic when people try to, on their own, just do productivity enhancements and why they, those so regularly get discouraged by that? My experience of trying was like reading some very popular blog post that lays out in detail some technique mm-hmm. and trying it and feeling like there was like all these gaps 
that I just like somehow I couldn't connect the dots the way that the technique seemed to be magically working for the person. I don't know, just always feeling like, okay, maybe if I had this person like come to my desk and show me how they did it, they would fill in all the gaps. But like the blog post just had to be concise and elegant enough and also make it sound good so that people would share it. And, you know, so I just felt like I was always like falling into these chasms that were not actually described in the, in the posts. Hmm. And I, you know, one way that I've come to maybe understand that is just like, we're all kind of different and we have to iterate so much on some of these basic techniques to, to make them work for our particular quirks and our workflows. And, and those just like all of that mess isn't accounted for in these blog posts. And so a lot of these techniques, maybe they're great, but I think I went through this sort of high expectations and then wanting it to work right away and then hitting into some obstacle where it wasn't quite working and then feeling really bad about myself. Like, well, clearly if it worked for this person, then I must be the problem. And sort of going through that kind of cycle with a huge variety of different things. And like, I don't know, a good example is like blocking websites. Like that seems to be this thing that a lot of people think is a good idea. Yet like I can block websites and it has virtually no impact on preventing me from procrastinating. I couldn't really tell you why, but I, I mean, maybe because I just like change the settings or I just like go and find something else to do. Mm. I don't mm. know. But yeah, like I said, it's sort of an emotional relationship, but getting high hopes, feeling broken and dumb and stupid. And I think eventually just concluding that there's, there's a lot that's unspoken in those techniques and a lot of idealizing that goes into like the blogosphere. And when people share things, it's just, it's a prettied up version that doesn't tell you the 10 years of mucking <laughs> mucking around that had that thing eventually work. Yeah. And, and that's so consistently true. It's not ill-intentioned. Like, right. Right. It's, it's a natural human adaptation to like look for what worked and so that we can like reaffirm sure. ourselves. That's yeah. really healthy, but we don't, we don't actually realize all the other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I really respect that you're not cynical about it. Cause I think we've also tried to share good things when things come our way. Like I have, I have four kids and, and I know I frustrate the hell out of my children. I've said hell twice. I hardly ever cuss. So funny. I, I have a high view of cussing, by the way, side note, I don't mind cussing. I, I just, I just want to save them for like special moments. My oldest son, he's almost 22 and my oldest daughter just turned 20 and, and my, I have two other daughters as well, but especially the older ones, I, I think in my interest to help them, you know, grow up and have a life mixed in with my own interest to grow up and have a life. And I'm still working out the things and, and, and I'm several years in, if not decades in, and I'm trying them to, to get them to get it. Of course, they're going to be frustrated. They're like that. And there's moments where it almost feels impossible to teach anybody anything uh, apart, apart from like creating space and just invite them in. And that's when I think about focus mate, that's what it feels like you're doing is you're inviting people in to a, a thing. I, I want to go to focus mate in just one second, but I want to ask you, can you say anything about your early adult formative years? Like, did you go to college? If so, where did you go? If not, what did you do in that kind of 18 to 25 window? I did go to college. I went to Duke, didn't know what I wanted to do, joined a management consulting firm, 
which was a very challenging, very awesome sort of starting point. That was actually another quite formative experience in that working in that corporate environment at different times, I just, I had this sense like, I performed okay. I had this sense like if I got the support I needed, I could be 10 times better, like literally 10 times better. And it just seemed dumb to me that all these facets of corporate culture that seem taken for granted. And this is at a company that I thought was awesome. Mm-hmm. Or, and a lot of people I think thought was awesome, a very like sought after job and career that also really got into my brain of like, why do we make it so hard for like, if somebody would just sit down and explain to me how to do this thing, instead of just expecting me to figure it out on my own, because, you know, that's <laughs> what we value in American corporate culture. Mm. I could be a lot more valuable and a lot happier and less lonely and mm. all this stuff. So mm. that's also deeply informed my view that a of you know the culture of Focusmate and the community is like, hey, come as you are. Let's just figure this thing out together. That is called being human and wanting to be our best. And I don't remember if I said one or a. So <laughs> b, b slash point two. It, it also really deeply informs our team culture, which mm-hmm. is like really just how can we create a workplace environment that is that centers well-being and dare I say spiritual development. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really you know holistic development of the self. A lot of us are not struggling to put food on the table at this point. We're not in an agrarian society anymore. It's all upside here. And so why don't we strive for those ideals? Yeah. Well, I, I want to get into that well-being, holistic development thing in a minute, because <laughs> uh, uh, those are big categories. And when I hear you say spiritual, what I, what I hear, what I make up about that is you mean the reality that is non-physical, like that there's more to our world, but we'll get to that. So feel free to correct me later if I'm off. <laughs> Coming back to Focusmate, Focusmate is basically you and I, we're in different parts of the planet. We both have work to do. We don't know each other. We go on, we pick a time, magically someone, you get matched. We jump on, we don't bug each other. We say, hey, what are you up to? What am I up to? All right, let's go. And we go and we do our thing. And then we check in to see at the end to see if it was done. And then we say goodbye. And and no creepiness, no weirdness. There's all these kinds of things built in, like you've learned a ton. First of all, am I, am I, that's my experience as I've used Focusmate. Does that, is that a fair representation? Yeah, totally. Awesome. So, so given that, I'm so struck by the name. So focus and mate. So to, I'd love for you to just describe, first of all, genius. First of all, a three-syllable <laughs> URL, genius. Uh, <laughs> don't know how you pulled that off. I, I, I have a hunch that both of those words are meaningful to you beyond just a clever URL. Talk a little bit about why you picked the name you picked. This is a big topic, actually. I'm a huge believer in brand and words. And so I think in service of y'all who are listening, I spent a ton of time brainstorming and going through both good and bad and terrible name ideas and searching online to see what was available. And there are no shortcuts to that that I know of unless you have a ton of money. We'll be right back after this short break. Ty, you and I have talked about what you're trying to do with your customers, and you've described Cantilever 
as a hospitality company and you make websites. What, what does that even mean? So you know how you go to a lot of these websites and you're a number or you're trapped and they're just trying to get as much ad revenue out of you as totally. they can while you're on the article. You know what I mean? Imagine that you're trying to get a message out, but the experience that people are having is awkward and inconvenient. So at Cantilever, what we try to do is give people an experience that is really comfortable and welcoming and really think of what they're trying to do when they come to a website. So instead of bombarding them with, with ads, we're thinking, where are they at in their lives that they're in this place where they're reading this article and what are they trying to get out of it? We try to make that really, really easy. We call that principle digital hospitality. You can do hospitality online. That's actually possible. It is, but it requires a translation of that hospitality skill set into a digital environment. And one of the things that's really powerful about trying to do hospitality online is that it involves a lot of technology. And there are countless ways that you can build incredible, powerful code bases that are oriented around a user's experience. So they're not just there to do something cool. You're doing cool things so that you can give people a better and better experience. If you're listening to this and you want to do that for your website, go to cantilever.co. Check them out. You know, I can't remember them now, but I probably came up with some other good ideas that, you know, the domain wasn't available, trademark wasn't available, et cetera, et cetera. There's definitely a combination of perseverance and luck associated with that. When I found that name, the domain was available, but owned by somebody. And I had to I put down 1400 bucks to buy that domain. Wow. And I just remember thinking, well... That's a lot of money for me right now. At that point in time, it was a lot of money for me. But I just thought, oh, this is nothing for a good <laughs> for a good name. So yeah, that's kind of my pep talk in context for your listeners. <laughs> that's great. And and so finding the name was important to you, but you all, but you still, you, it wasn't just like an investment because you thought the name would work. The name mattered to you. So say say more about that. Yeah. Well, so in in very simple terms, like we wanted a name that would convey something meaningful about, could convey some meaning, right? So at its core, what Focusmate is providing is focus, but actually not just that, it provides connection and camaraderie. And yeah, we're just kind of wrestling with how do we combine those in a name? And there's there's certainly great names that aren't as on the nose. For us, it was sort of like, you know, like the Kleenex concepts where like, could we come up with, could this be a name for something that actually would in the future represent concepts? And, you know, we're still very small, but I think we're moving in that direction where, you know, you'll see on Reddit, people will actually refer and they'll say like, you know, let's do it in like Focusmate style or something Mm, like that. mm, Even if mm. they're doing something else, they'll use it as a reference point. So I'd say it's working out well and we can use it in, in ways like, hey, Dane, do you want to be my Focusmate? on Friday for a couple hours. Mm. You know, there's there's different ways that naming can play out. I think it's worked out. And then and then the the added reality of this last year, I mean again, there's the, with all the requisite qualifiers of how so many people have really been under it this year. And I don't I don't say that flippantly, it's real. You really offered a lifeline for people. Talk a little bit about what what this last year has been like for you and your team at Focusmate. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I I don't want to be trite but in a way this year has been just kind of welcoming a lot of people into our existing reality it's kind of weird to say but in some sense 
nothing has changed or very little has changed. We've got a lot of new press where suddenly everyone's talking about us mm-hmm. and we're, you know, we get emails from venture capitalists. I have for a very long time believed that there is some better way to work where like, I just think it's dumb to waste some of the most precious time in your day commuting and wearing yourself out or like, why would you start your day by getting on a subway and being like barraged by mm. all you know aggressive and stressful energy when you could be using that time to like do really deep focus work like that's maybe your prime energy of the day it's you know and there's there's a long list you know just stuff like oh being able to work, like today i worked out in the middle of the day it was 65 degrees i went to the park like that seems like a really huge lifestyle benefit. I don't have kids, but people with kids, I mean, just the ability to be a good parent, to parent the way that you want, it's just a really long list. And I think ultimately it makes us more productive. And then, yeah, it does leave this gap of creating meaningful connection and connecting in person. And of course, COVID has created a different remote work reality where not only (laughs) are we working remotely, but we also can't supplement that with in-person interaction. So, you know, those of us who are, are are now new to remote working haven't experienced it in its full glory because you're getting some facets of it, but you're not able to go, you know, socialize with friends outside of work. So the future seems very obvious to me of like creating a great remote work environment and supplementing that with meaningful, you know, in-person interactions. But that really the lion's share is is about working remotely. I love what you're saying that that COVID was maybe a reveal for a lot of other people, but it was something that was revealed to you before. That certainly resonates with me. I, I'm very careful to say this, again, because I'm just sensitive to how privileged I am that this was my experience, but this was the best year of my life. <laughs> I, I think it might be because people, I, I'm probably your perfect target demographic for your offering, <laughs> but there's a sense in which uh, more people could relate with my world. And I didn't have to get on any planes, maybe three, like in a year kind of thing. And that was not true before. And it's funny, I'm supposed to, it's this really cool event coming up in about a week and a half. I keep like setting up my plane ticket, putting it on hold overnight, and then letting it go away. <laughs> I just don't want to go. I have no interest in in doing work that way. Yeah, it is that kind of meaningful thing that I know I, I will want to do those things, but just very carefully. And I know not everyone has that choice. So I, I, that's where I'm just a little sensitive. But any thoughts on those dynamics of when we start getting into this routine? One of the massive silver linings of COVID is that it's just been this reset on all these norms. And it's oriented everyone to have some blend of empathy and compassion that was not there before. And it's like mm-hmm. our become, in a lot of cases, a default orientation towards even our colleagues, our subordinates where people are just way more vulnerable. I mean, just having your background on a call be your house. That is a vulnerability, you know, a window into your world that people didn't have to provide before. And so suddenly all of us are kind of naked in this way. We weren't before. And also experiencing other challenges that in some cases are really massive breakdowns that just almost force their way into our professional lives and need to be shared with our colleagues. All of that has really shifted us into this much more vulnerable state. And then also, yeah, it's stripped away all these things that we used to do. And so we all have kind of this blank slate of how do we want to spend our time and 
or how do we make the most of this situation? And yeah, so I think we're all having the opportunity to be a lot more intentional about it. Let's turn a corner. I want to talk about mental health. There was a statistic out here in the West Coast in Los Angeles in the month of March. So a year ago right now, it was reported that the suicide hotline uh, increased their volume of inbound calls by 8,000% in 30 days. You know, I share that statistic regularly and no one is surprised, like zero people. Even if you had a great year, <laughs> there's a sense of like, it also, it reveals some exposure around people's habits and routines and rituals and what's going on at home and, and just forced into kind of isolation and where it's really, it feels imposing in many ways or felt imposing. And I'm wondering if you could just talk a little bit about mental health, personal habits, ritual relative to remote work. And I, it does seem to me that that working from home is a skill set. I'm like a monk now. Like my days are incredible. It's it's like a, a, I embrace my groundhog dayness, uh, and I and I love it. <laughs> but I rec- I wonder sometimes is that is that my personality? Is it learnable? Could other people develop and improve in their capacity to take autonomy and 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 the benefits that come from it and leverage it as opposed to feel like it's crushing them? Talk a little bit about mental health in a remote culture. You know, I <laughs> I can remember so many days at the office where, for whatever reason, you know, let's say it was my early 20s and I had gone out the night before, I was pretty useless all day at work because <laughs> I just didn't get enough sleep. I was hungover, whatever. You know, if you're working remotely, you can sleep in or you can take a nap or I think, you know, being more sensitive to our current situation you know, and, and speaking to my personal experience of the last year, I absolutely had my nervous system pushed beyond any threshold that it had been before in terms of just the stress levels and and the challenge of learning how to get grounded, learning new life skills, really, to take care of my well-being. I think if I needed to be at an office, it just, it would have been impossible. I, I think it literally would have been impossible. But in the remote context with the culture that we have around promoting well-being at Focusmate, it just became part of the conversation. That's like, hey, I'm super stressed out right now and I need to, you know, have more flexibility. And in a way, it wasn't even more flexibility. It just was like, hey, this is what's going on, FYI. But the the context is already there that we have the flexibility. We take care of ourselves. That's that is what we do. Yeah, so I, I, I think that is the opportunity. That's one of the opportunities of remote work and mental health is like, uh, I'm feeling ill today and I'm going to just sleep in and like TBD, I'll probably, you know, I might get in the saddle later in the day or I just need to take a break to go for a walk or meditate or, you know, my kid is sick or whatever, you know, normal day to day stuff is arising in our lives. We can just take care of ourselves. Yeah, maybe that's a really simplistic answer to your question, but I think it's a huge, huge difference. It's so much of it is like, how do you take care of yourself, right? Like, so what I'm hearing and what you're saying is this almost responsibility to get to know yourself a little bit. And for some people, that's a foreign concept, you know, and they, it, it's not been required of them in their, in their lives, in their, in their work lives. That could really inform now that they have the opportunity to kind of run their days that that could speak to it. And it actually speaks in my mind to a broader question that I want to ask, which is, and it kind of goes back to your time in India around productivity, like the question, whose responsibility is it to work well, to be a skilled worker? 
Is it the workplace's responsibility? Is it the worker's responsibility? I guess the answer is, well, yeah, yes, it's both. Uh, but, but I wonder, like, is especially with the the worker responsibility part of it, like it just seems like that's been amplified now. Like, if you were if you were hiding at work before and having work decide everything for you before, bummer. <laughs> now it's on you. How would you begin to take personal responsibility for your own mental health? And how might you appeal, like as a, as a business owner with a team, how would you like to be appealed to? Well, one thing I think is worth calling out is, you know, you alluded to how you thrive in this unstructured environment and, mm-hmm. and a lot of people don't. And so I think, yeah, it's just worth naming, like we, we really, there is a big array of how we respond to that lack of structure. And some of us, our personalities are more predisposed to like more intuitively creating structure and others are not at all like that. And there's definitely no better worse. Both have massive pros and massive cons Mm -hmm. just acknowledging that if you're like, you might not be one of those people. And to some extent, I think I am not one of those people. And that's why it was such a long journey for me and why I, had to start an entire company to create a service to provide structure and human connection and accountability so I didn't go off the rails. Yeah. Item number one is just like if if it's been a huge struggle for you and it's, you know, you might still have to be at the beginning of your journey to figuring it out. And that's, I think it's important to be gentle with ourselves and also not kind of dismiss the concept of remote work out of hand. You know, whose responsibility it is, is it? And how do you have the conversation? You know, I I think probably, yeah, it's like 100% everyone's responsibility. If you're the worker, you know, your first job is to know yourself and what works for you. And if you were previously somebody who really relied on that face-to-face thing, uh, you should probably try focus me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you that's know, right. That's right. You, sh- you should try things that provide that structure, that connection, that accountability. What's the conversation with your employer you know, I, I guess one part is just knowing like different companies have different cultures and some are gearing up to go back to the office and, you know, Goldman Sachs just announced they're going back to the office and that's the right decision for them. And, uh, you know, like, and, and other companies are like, let's do this remote thing. It's exciting. We can have a more global, you know, we can recruit for the best people globally, blah, blah, blah. So being real about the match between who you are and how you like to work and the direction your company's going is probably a good idea how to bring it to your employer. I mean, I think it's pretty simple. It's like, Hey, I want to be my best. And here's what I would, here's the support that I would love from you, you know, make it about the value that you are excited to provide and the things that you, the support you need in order to, to provide that value. Hopefully your employer has a really positive response to that. I think that's very compelling. And if not, it's probably not a good fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's super helpful. And and then I guess last question on that front is just, as an employer, when you think about just you know yourself as a leader or other colleagues of yours who are leading companies, is this a special moment, like a unique moment that leaders ought to be thinking about well-being, mental health, holistic development in a new way? <laughs> if there's a time for a special curse word this would be <laughs> yes I, yes I yes say, fuck yes <laughs> uh, yeah very emphatic yes like 
we cannot miss this opportunity to make a paradigm shift. Like if you want to make some kind of cosmic meaning out of, you know, what's the upside of this pandemic, it's like, let's shake some things up and we badly need to shake them some things up. Like, you know, look at whatever measurement that you want to, but like, what are we doing all this for? We don't need more widgets. We don't need more stuff. There's some people who do that, you know, that need more basic resources and safety. And if we're not those people, then I kind of fundamentally believe that deep down all of us, we want to build a better world. And if we're not doing that, it's because we're more in touch with some fear or some basic need of ours that's not being met. But to the extent that we are in a position to contribute to a paradigm shift, yeah, we got to lean into this opportunity for shift as hard as we possibly can and and I think be really brave about it. I mean, it is absolutely scary to do things differently, but we've never had more kind of universal permission to do things differently than we do now. For folks who either individually want to try Focusmate out or for organizations who want to think through ways that they might leverage your platform and tool can you share a little bit about getting started and what that might look like if they wanted to give it a try? Totally. So if you want to just give Focusmate a shot, go to focusmate.com. We have a free plan. Sign up. Within 10 minutes from now, you can be doing a Focusmate session. So that would be number one. We are piloting a, a private group offering where you can uh, have a, a Focusmate group for your company or your community. So if you're interested in that, you can reach out to us as well, just like hi at focusmate.com. Or if you just go to our website, you'll find it there as well. And what about folks who want to track you down? Are you available to be tracked? Where? How can people stay in tune with Taylor Jacobson? Totally. Yeah. Track me down. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. Two best platforms are Twitter and LinkedIn. Look for Taylor Jacobson on on either place. And I'd love to connect with you. Friend, thank you for being on. Incredible. All right. Thanks, Dan. See ya. This was episode five, season six of the Business of Creativity podcast. Converge is made possible thanks to cantilever.co and tellmeyourdreams.com. For all our past evergreen episodes with guests like Seth Godin, James Clear, Ann Handley, Ryan Holiday, Jazz Ampafar, Donald Miller, Mike Michalowicz, Sarah Green Carmichael, Brad Montague, Kevin Kelly, Todd Henry, Scott Stratton, Chase Reeves, Gretchen Rubin, Chris Gillibo, Starley Kine, and more, go to convergepodcast.com. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. See you next time. Ironic Media Productions. Visit us at ironicmedia.com.